Well, I'd invite you to grab a seat. Kim and the band will be back a little bit later. I'd love to ask you uh, maybe to remember back to when you were in primary school. Uh, Certainly, maybe a little bit before primary school, you might have had or begun to have an answer to this question. But the question I want you to remember that you asked when you were in primary school was this. Uh, When I grow up, I want to be... What did, what did you insert in the blank? When I grow up, I want to be. For me, it was really, really easy. When I was younger, and I couldn't figure out why no one else wanted to do this, I just wanted to be Batman. I even got a Batman water bottle because I'm still kind of like living in that memory. I couldn't figure out, I, like, I couldn't figure out why no one else in the world had decided to be Batman for a career. Superman, I could kind of understand because you've got to be from Krypton, and unless you're from Krypton, that's kind of hard. Like Spider-Man, yeah, like I'm afraid of spiders, so getting bitten by a radioactive spider is not my idea of a good time. But Batman, I was like, surely that's easy, right? Like you just got to be super physically talented and work really, really hard, and you've just got to like put your put your mind to things. I was like, come on, surely anyone could put their mind to things and just get really, really buff. Um, I quickly discovered that one of the key components of being Batman, though, is that you need to kind of have like a million dollar deposit. It's pretty hard to build a bat cave. I don't know if you've tried with a shovel in the backyard. It's pretty hard to build a bat cave or a Batmobile or have all the cool gadgets and the smoke bombs unless you've got like a, some money backing you. So pretty quickly after that, I decided that uh, I should be a forensic detective. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, just think of CSI Miami. Um, that was back when CSI Miami was a thing. I don't know how many, like 30 of them they have now, but CSI Miami was my jam. Like, and I watched that and I was like, okay, I want to be one of those dudes because it's kind of like being Batman. Like, it's kind of like solving crime. Uh, you know, you, you figure out who the, the criminal is from a hair follicle, and then you, like, chase them down, you tackle them, and you're kind of like the hero. I was like, I could, I could do that, and I don't need to be a millionaire. Although I, I kind of discovered really quickly that, like, there's not that many times where forensic investigators, like, crash tackle criminals. Um, in fact, I don't even know if they get guns. And that kind of like brought it down a little bit. Then I discovered that really to be a forensic investigator, you needed to like really like working in a laboratory and have a love of science. Those two things are just not my jam. I was like looking through a microscope all day. Like I don't, I don't know like if I can handle that. I can't handle the white coat. And so I kind of, I kind of pushed that to the side as well. But maybe, maybe for you, uh, when you were that age, when you were in primary school, you thought like, hey, I want to be something. And maybe there's some of you who can't even remember what you wanted to be. And so I thought I'd, I'd try and help jog your memory uh, if you can't remember. Uh, because a couple of years ago, uh, they did some research in Australia where they took a thousand uh, uh, children between the ages of five and 12, five and, uh, yeah, five and 12, five and 13, and they asked them, hey, what do you want to be? When you grow up, how would you answer this question? When I grow up, I want to be. And these are the top 10 results that they came up with. Number one on the list was a teacher, then a scientist, a vet, an actor was, uh, came in at number four, then a musician, uh, then after that, doctor, police officer, athlete, firefighter, pilot. Like, I think like, if you look at that, if that's like a, uh, a generalization of Australian culture, like, we're going in a pretty good direction because a lot of those are helping professions. You know, teachers, scientists trying to cure cancer, vet helping animals, um, doctors, police officers, firefighters, always trying to help uh, people. And if you're here for the first time tonight, or you're just joining us, you missed last week, you're coming in at part two of a four-part discussion that we're having, uh, and we've called it What's the Point? And the subtitle of this is called Discovering Your Greater Purpose. And and if you don't know me, uh, my name is Chris, I'm one of the communicators here, and we're so glad that you're joining us for, for this part of the discussion. 
And the reason that we kind of asked you, you know, like, what do you want to be? Cast your mind back to think, what do you want to be when you were younger? Is because for a lot of us, we never asked this question, you know, what's my purpose and why am I here? This whole series is engaged or is targeted at helping you to answer these two questions. What's my purpose and why am I here? Because chances are, if you were anything like me, when you were six years old and someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? You didn't answer with, I just want to know what I'm here for. I just want to know my life's purpose. I just want to know that when I wake up in the morning, I'm contributing to something greater than myself. Chances are when someone said, you know, when, when, you're, when you were younger and they said, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Chances are you didn't say, well, I hope I get up and I like my job every day. You kind of just assumed that, right? You kind of assumed that you would get to a point that you would love what you were doing. It would be fun all the time. You would love what you were studying at uni. You would love that career you stepped into. And you never thought that there would be a need to ask the question, you know, what's my purpose and why am I here? Because we just all assumed that we would know that because we would be doing something that we love and that brings us fulfillment and that uh, kind of uh, completes that sort of part of our lives where we never have to ask this question. But we get to a point, right, as we move through life where we kind of come to realise two truths. And the first truth is this, that there are a lot of options when it comes to what you could possibly do for a career. And we usually start to discover these options when we get to grade 10. Because when you're in primary school, 10 options is a lot of options to have, right? I don't know if I would have had 10 options when I was in primary school. I would have added superhero to that list, obviously. But like 10, 11 options, that's a lot of stuff when you're little. But then you kind of move into grade 10 and grade 9, and you start doing some of those aptitude tests, and then they start spitting out all these options of what you could possibly be when you get older, and you start to realise there are probably 10, maybe 20, careers that I could legitimately see myself in. Then you start to feel like, well, how do I pick? How do I know which career path I want to go? How do I know what decision is, is going to bring me fulfillment? Because maybe on Monday, one option is going to bring me fulfillment, but by Friday, I'll, have wanted to have, I'll want to have changed my career altogether. So we realize that there's a lot of options. And the second truth, before I tell you the second truth, I'm just going to let you know in advance, you're going to push back against it. But here's the second truth that we discover, is that we can't be anything we want to be. Now, I know some of you are going to sit there and be like, Chris, well, I don't know if you've seen my Instagram, but it is full of inspirational quotes, and I can be anything I want to be if I put my mind to it. But the truth is, we really just can't. I mean, chances are, I will never, ever be an Olympic cross-country skier, being born in Brisbane, Australia. There's no snowfields around, like I've never skied in my life. Like, chances are pretty minimal that I can't be anything I want to be because being a cross-country skier is not my jam. On a more practical level, I am terrible with numbers. People who know me, anything, like if I had to do addition or subtraction, like I am so horrendously bad. And so I don't think I could be an accountant because I just couldn't work with numbers all day. I couldn't work with spreadsheets. If you came to me and wanted me to do your tax, you would be scared. Because I just can't, for some reason, numbers don't work in my head. And we kind of hear that and we go, oh, I can't be anything I want to be. That's kind of a Debbie Downer, Chris. But the truth is that it's actually helpful to eliminate things that we can't be. When we're trying to figure out what our greater purpose is in life, because there's so many options, it's actually helpful to say, hey, you know what? I really don't like those kind of things. And my personality really isn't geared towards those kind of careers. 
And, and maybe they bring fulfillment, and they bring joy for some people, but, but I just don't find that in my life. And so it's actually helpful for us to begin to cross out some of the things that we can't be in life. It helps us take a step towards that. And in fact, the thing that we're going to kind of look at tonight is this, that clues to understanding why you were created can be found in looking at how you were created. So often we say, well, I can be anything I want to be, but how you were created doesn't actually allow you to be that, to do, to do those things. You're not naturally gifted in those areas. And so what we kind of want to talk about tonight and what we're going to finish with is we're going to give you two really practical tools for you to begin to discover and begin to unpack how you were created. Because we believe that when you begin to discover how you were created, your personality, your interests, your gifts, that that begins to step you and point you towards why you were created and what your greater purpose is. Because the truth is that you have a setting in mind when it comes, or you have a setting in mind that sets you up for discovering your greater purpose. You might not be aware of it, you might not acknowledge it, you might say, well, I'm not really religious, you know, but, but we all have a setting in mind. Let's start with the religious people, because they're really easy to pick on. Uh, if you're a Buddhist, the setting that you have in mind that steps you towards your greater purpose is actually disconnecting from reality. Buddhists believe if you disconnect from relationships, if you disconnect from family, if you disconnect from finances and you disconnect from buildings, that that will actually make you one with the universe and that will point you towards your greater purpose. Islam believes that if you actually follow the five pillars of Islam, that that is going to point you towards your greater purpose. Kind of new age spiritualism, mysticism says if you just tap into your inner being, if you just get in there inside you enough and you kind of become one with yourself, that will actually, you'll discover within inside of you your greater purpose somehow. And I get some of you, oh, I'm not really religious, and that's, that's totally fine. But some of you maybe have a setting in mind that, that's not religious at all. You just think, if I could just get that guy, if I could just get that girl, if I could just get that relationship, in that relationship, I would discover my greater purpose. That's the setting. You're like, if I could just get that girl on my arm, that boy on my arm, if we could be that couple, then life would be great. I would find my purpose. Maybe for some of you, it's that job. You're like, if I could just nail that dream job, if I could finally get the application and, and, I, would, and I could get into that role, then that would help me find my greater purpose. For some of you, the setting that you have in your mind is, is, is grades. You're going through high school and, and you're setting in your mind, you kind of say that, you know, I'm one of the smart people, I'm one of the, I'm one of the academic people. I'm going towards that OP1 track. And so in your mind, you have a setting in place that helps you discover your greater purpose. And you say, my grades help me discover my greater purpose. My wealth helps me discover my greater purpose, if that's you. And so tonight, what I want to do is just give you another option Another option that you could use to begin to discover your greater purpose, another setting, if you will, the setting of Christianity. And I promise that we're going to get to you. I promise we're going to talk all about you, but in order to understand the setting that Christianity sets up for you to discover your greater purpose, we've got to kind of zoom out. So if you're kind of like, where is this going? Trust me, we're going to get to you, I promise you. But the setting to help us understand is actually found in the very first book of a collection of books that Christians call the Bible. Maybe some of you don't know this, but the Bible is not just one book. The Bible was not designed to be read from cover to cover, but the Bible is a collection of books that comprise a whole different uh, range of literature. 
There are some biographies in there. There are some uh, proverbs in there. There's some poetry in there. There's some what they call apocalyptic literature, which is kind of like where they use a lot of imagery, where they kind of point towards the future a little bit. There's some history in there. There's also uh, what they call allegorical, which is just this really fancy word for kind of metaphorical language that kind of paints a picture without actually being uh, what, what they mean, like as literally understood. And the first book uh, of this collection of books called the Bible is, is called Genesis, which is a fancy word for origins. And uh, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, it kind of paints this metaphor for how the world uh, was created. And within this, we kind of begin to get a little bit of a context that Christianity sets for understanding our greater purpose. And it says this in the first chapter, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In other words, the setting that Christianity sets up for you is that you're actually created in God's image. There are things about you that, that uh, will connect with other people that God designed. In fact, uh, if you were to go back just a couple of thousand years to when the church first began in Rome, in Rome, what they would do as part of their culture is that they would, uh, they would kind of put all the lepers to the edge, the fringes of society. If you were homeless, you were pushed to the fringes of society. If you couldn't fend for yourself, if you were a widow, you were pushed to the fringes of society. And they didn't really care what happened to you when you moved to the fringes of society. They just hoped you never said another word. They just kind of hoped that you would figure out your own way out there, that you would move to the edge and that maybe, maybe you would kind of, they didn't really even care what happened to you. As long as you were out of there and the strong stayed in the middle, that was kind of Rome's mentality. And then kind of take that up a level when in Rome it was a big deal to hand your household, to hand your estate on to a young boy. And what that looked like is that if you uh, were parents and you had a daughter, but you didn't yet have a boy, that baby would end up in the gutter of a Roman street. And it was the Christians who would come and collect the babies. It was the Christians who would go to the edges of society and invite people back into homes. And the reason they did it was because that they believed that every single person was created in the image of God. They believed that when you were eyeball to eyeball with another human being, that you were actually looking at someone that God created and who bears God's image. In fact, that's how hospitals were started. That's how social justice movements were started because Christians in ancient Rome believed that people were made in God's image, so much so that it was not okay to go with the cultural norms and leave these babies to die in the streets. And then a couple of thousand years before Jesus, there was a warrior king, his name was David. And unlike most warrior kings of, of this day, David was actually into a little bit of poetry on the side. David wrote a whole heap of poetry and David's reflecting on this idea that we found in Genesis. And this is what David writes in this poem, reflecting on it. He goes, you made all my delicate inner parts. That kind of sounds weird, so let me, like, let me explain what that means. Inner parts in that Hebrew culture actually meant kidneys. Doesn't help, I know, doesn't clarify it. <laughs> kidneys, for the, for the Hebrews, was actually where the emotions came from. It was their personality. So what David is saying here is, is when I'm made in the image of God, that God has actually created my personality. God has actually created the way that I understand the world, that I, the way that I look at the world. And then he goes on, he goes... You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, the way you put me together 
wasn't an accident. The way you put me together was for a purpose. And then he goes on, he says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your worksmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. And maybe some of you are sitting there, okay, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's, that's kind of okay. That's the context, right, that I'm made in the image of God, and that's all humanity's made in God's image. So, yeah, when I'm eyeball to eyeball with someone, sure, they're in the image of God. But, but Chris, how does that help me? How does that help me in my life discover my purpose? Because you've told me that God loves everyone and God created everyone, but what about me here tonight? How does that help me? Well, we believe, and I believe that David was saying this, but I've kind of just taken what he's saying and kind of put our spin on it, that God's fingerprints actually point to your purpose. That when God has created you, God has created you in a unique way that he has left a fingerprint on your life. And that the fingerprints that God has left on your life actually point towards your purpose. In other words, how God has created you actually point towards why God has created you. And I know to say that God's fingerprints, okay, cool, well, what does that look like? We sort of kind of condensed it down. We said there's three fingerprints that we believe or that we can see that God has left on every single person's life. The first fingerprint is their personality. Now, how do you, how do you process conversations? Do you, do, you know, do you need to be out? Are you the life of the party when everyone's in the middle of the room and you're right in the middle and you're just like commanding everyone's attention? And everyone's like, well, let's party and you're the person in the center. You're like, yeah, let's go. Or are you that person on the edge of the party? Your, your idea of a great Saturday night is like, let's just stay at home and watch Netflix. In fact, maybe let's just get a book. You sit on your couch, I sit on my couch. We won't talk at all, but we'll be in the same room and we'll just take it easy. Maybe, maybe that's how God has created you. Maybe for some of you, your personality involves how you make decisions. Are you one of those really logical people where, where in order for you to make a decision, you need to say, okay, well, show me the data. Show me the facts, show me the figures, show me the models, show me all the reviews, and then I'll be able to make my decision. And then maybe some of you, you make your decisions another way. You go, well, the salesperson was lovely, weren't they? That's just a really great... I got a good feeling about that. Maybe that's the way that you're wired. You have this ability to put yourselves in other people's shoes while other people uh, just for some reason just don't have that ability. We believe that that's God's fingerprint on your life in the form of your personality. The other fingerprint, uh, the second fingerprint, is just your experiences. Where you were born, who you were friends with, what school you went to, maybe the experiences that led you to the career you're in, to the job you're in, that, that friendship that you developed where someone said, hey, actually, you're incredibly gifted or you're incredibly talented or maybe you should try. And so as a result, you began down a path that led you to the career that you love. And then the third fingerprint that God has on your life is spiritual gifts. In other words, God hasn't just created you in his image, but he's given you a gift, a talent or an ability or a skill, if you want to call it that way, for building up the local church. In other words, for pointing people back to Jesus. And I understand that that idea of like spiritual gift, that's kind of like weird. You're like, whoa, Chris, like we're, we're tracking with you until we kind of got a little bit weird there. Like, and so I, I wanted to kind of help you understand and help you unpack just exactly this idea of a spiritual gift and how it can be a fingerprint on your life. 
In fact, the, the greatest uh, church planter and evangelist, really apart from Jesus, wrote a letter to that church in Rome where those Christians were rescuing children from the street and bringing in those people on the fringes of society. And his name was Paul. And this is what Paul wrote to that church in Rome. He said, Just as our own bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. And he's kind of being a little bit metaphorical when he says Christ's body, because, you know, obviously Jesus isn't here anymore. So what does that mean? Well, Paul is saying that the local church is Jesus' body. Not the physical church, not the building, but the people. The people that gather together and follow Jesus are actually Jesus' body on earth. In other words, they represent Jesus on earth. And when people see them, they see a reflection of the God who made others in His image. So he's laid that foundation, he goes on, he says, we are many parts of one body. And we all belong to each other. In other words, if there's a church up the road, they're not in opposition to us because we're on the same team. If there's a church down, down the street that maybe does things a little bit different way, we are not in opposition to them. We are on the same team. We're part of the one body. And then he goes on. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts. Could you imagine how horrible it would be if everyone had the same gift? I think about this all the time and it scares me because we have some incredibly talented people that set up the environment that we sit in every single week. If that was my job, we just don't want to imagine. Like there, would, there wouldn't be lollies, there wouldn't be lights, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be cool, um, cool blue lights, there wouldn't be lights on the ceiling, there wouldn't be any of that. If we all had the same gift... It would be so boring. If everyone had the gift of communication, all 60 of us would be up the front talking to no one. That would be so weird. And we all have different gifts. And then Paul goes on for doing certain things well. Not for doing all things well. Not for doing everything well. But for using the gift that God has given you in the purpose, for the purpose that he has given you that gift. To kind of sum it up, God's fingerprints, like we said, point to your purpose. And I know that I promised you, I promised you we're going to get really practical. And so I want to do that tonight. I want to show you how you can begin to discover God's fingerprints on your life. We're actually going to give you two tools that you can, um, you can take away this week. Um, if you've got your phones with you, you can go onto our Facebook page because the tools are up there. The first tool is simply this. It is a Myers-Briggs assessment. Uh, Maybe some of you have done this, and maybe for those of you uh, who haven't done it, you're like, what is a Myers-Briggs assessment? Uh, Really, it's just kind of a tool that psychologists have put together that help you get a little bit of an insight into the way that your personality is, is created, how you make decisions, how you recharge your energy, your default settings in relationships, your default settings at work, maybe even some careers that you might be drawn naturally towards. And we want to give you this tool so that you can begin to unpack it. If you're in a relationship, this is a fantastic tool to do with the person you're in a relationship with. It might explain why there are some things they do that just really annoy you. And then it'll explain to them why there are things you do that really annoy them. You'll be like, oh, finally, I can understand. It'll also show you some of your blind spots. It'll show you what it's like to be in a conversation with you. And what it's like to be in a relationship with you. And it will open up some of the blind spots that that maybe you would never have had pointed out to you in the first place. 
And then the next tool we want to give you, uh, it's on our Facebook as well, is a spiritual gifts assessment. Because we want you to take some steps to begin to see where has God gifted you? What are the gifts that God has created you with? What are some of the talents or the skills or the abilities that maybe you never thought you had? Maybe you were always told that you're not talented or you're not gifted. And so you're not sure and you maybe believed a lie that you never had a gift. Well, we want you to take an opportunity this week to begin to discover not just your personality, but also some of the gifts that God has given you. The practical part of of our time together, we call it a full Monday because really we just want to make sure that what we talk about has some value for your life. You can actually use it during the week. There's no point coming and spending some time with us and just leaving not changed. And so um, you've probably guessed it. We just want you to take the time to discover God's fingerprint in your life. Take a couple of minutes. It'll probably take you about 15 minutes. Go and fill out that Myers-Briggs. Go and fill out that spiritual gifts assessment. You can fill it out right now while I'm talking if you don't have 15 spare minutes. And maybe, maybe some of you are kind of sitting there and you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure if I want to. I'm not really sure if it's worth it. For some of you, you're, you're kind of wondering where your greater purpose is in life. And maybe, maybe these tests and these assessments won't shed any light on that. But what if they do? What if you were to give up 15 minutes of your week in all, and you were to, at the end of that 15 minutes, you were one step closer to beginning to understand your greater purpose in the world? Because if God was willing to step into history, if Jesus was willing to die on a cross for you, it doesn't just mean that he's created you in his image, it means that he views you as valuable valuable enough to give up his life and if God is willing to give up his life for you then ultimately it means that God wants you to know your purpose God doesn't want you to go through life trying to figure it out on your own God doesn't want you to go through life going why am I here what is the point do I really not have a gift God wants you to be able to discover that and actually see the story how your story plays a part in a bigger story. So this week, take 15 minutes because you are going to do a quiz on Facebook anyway. And instead of figuring out what Harry Potter house you belong to, you can discover some of the fingerprints that God has on your life. I promise you it won't, it'll be 15 minutes well spent. I'd love to pray and I'd love to invite you back next week for part three and uh, as I pray, the band's going to come up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that that you have left your fingerprint on our life. You have left your fingerprint uh, on our life through our personality, through our experiences, and through the spiritual gifts that you have given us. And some of us have been trying for a long time to answer that question, you know, why am I here? What is my purpose? And maybe that's too big a question to tackle straight away. Maybe the first step is just discover how we are created, how you have created us. And then we can begin to walk through that journey and take that journey to discover our greater purpose. So Lord, I just pray that this week, that as we go away, as we begin to to fill those Myers-Briggs assessments out, as we
fill those spiritual gifts assessments out. They wouldn't answer all our questions, but they would begin to step us towards discovering the greater purpose that you have for our life. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, we are going to move now into uh, a time of communion. And if you're, if you're new to church and that communion is like a really churchy word, uh, don't worry, I'm going to walk you through it. Because uh, really all communion is, is, a, is a meal that we share together. And this meal was actually shared uh, for the first time with Jesus and his disciples. There would have been more than a dirty dozen. There would have been uh, men and women gathered in a room, an, the upper room of a house. And they were sharing in this meal that was kind of a meal that uh, culturally the Israelite nation had been celebrating for a long time. It was called the Passover meal. But on this night, three days before Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of the world, Jesus actually redefined this meal. And at the start of the meal, he takes bread and he breaks it. And he said, this is my body. It's given for you. Take and eat this whenever you gather together in remembrance of me. Then they continued to feast and party and have a good time. And then Jesus kind of quieted in the room again after they were all done eating. And he took the cup and he said, This is my blood of the new covenant. It's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink this whenever you gather together in remembrance of me. And really what Jesus was doing is redefining this meal to point towards himself. To say, and and the disciples wouldn't have understood it in the moment, but three days later when Jesus was hanging on a cross, giving up his life, it would have finally made sense. That Jesus was saying, hey, in this meal, you can experience the very thing that I want on the cross. Maybe you've gone through life and, and you've been trying to discover your purpose and you've made some bad decisions. And maybe as a result of those decisions, you think, I'm not worthy to come to church. Sure, God likes me, but God would never, if God knew all the things I'd done and, and all the ways I try to discover my purpose, maybe God wouldn't love me. And Jesus took this meal and went to the cross knowing that there would be times in your life when you would try to discover your greater purpose and you would substitute things in that would hurt you and not ultimately lead you towards God. And he did it anyway. Because God isn't after you following a list of rules. He's after a relationship with you. He created you in his image and he wants the opportunity to reconnect with you. And so if maybe you've thought that there's a barrier between you and God and you and connecting with God, I want you to know that Jesus' death on the cross covered that and in this meal, that forgiveness that was won on the cross can be experienced again. So I'd love to pray for you and then uh, after I do that, we're going to invite you up and you can take some bread and and dip it in the cordial. And we have gluten-free options as well. And if you're still sitting there and you're like, nah, this is not my jam, I'm just going to, I'm not really into this, that's totally okay. You sit back, relax, the band's going to play as well. But I'd love to pray for us uh, all right now. Heavenly Father, there are definitely times in our life where we think we know what our purpose is maybe we think we know why we're here and we head down a path and really all it ever does is make us more unhappy sure it made us happy at the start but then we get to a point where we think why am I doing this and maybe there are some of us here tonight who think that we've gone down that path too far that, that there is too big of a barrier and there is too big of a hurdle that stands between us and reconnecting And Lord, if that's anyone here tonight, I want them to know that if someone is willing to die for them, they are 100% for them. And you gave up your life, Lord, 
on a cross because you are 100% for us. There is nothing that can stand in the way. You have obliterated every barrier that could possibly stand in the way of someone and reconnecting with you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we share in this time of communion, that maybe we would begin to move past some of those barriers, trusting that when you died on the cross, you gave and you won forgiveness for all of us. And Lord, I pray that just as you knocked down barriers uh, that prevented us from connecting with you, Lord, I pray that, that as the local church, that as Jesus' body on earth, that we would be people who would knock down barriers that stands between people and you as well. That we wouldn't take this forgiveness and hold it to ourselves, but we would be people who want to forgive freely and to love graciously so that we too could be part of removing barriers that people believe separate them from you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I'd love to invite you forward if you'd like to share with us.